to the Research Bytes podcast. My name is Imtiaz and I'm joined by co-host Lachlan. Today, other co-host Felix is not feeling so well, so we're going to hold down the fort without him and hope we get some curly questions to honor to honor Felix's presence. <laughs> and our guest today is Faridun or Ferry. He's a PhD student at UNSW and the George Institute. And he's researching headache disorders, especially migraine. Welcome, Barry, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you both for having me here. Uh, I was really excited about today and hope we have a nice talk together. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we're going to have an interesting chat. Headaches are like one of those things that we all have experienced almost at some stage, but we know so little about, right? So before we get into your current research, Please tell us a little bit about your background, um, where you're from, what you've studied, and your journey towards research. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, about where I'm from, I'm from Iran, the best of the country, which is called Kurdistan. So my first language is Kurdish, the second one is Farsi or Persian, and then English is the third that I usually say this, that I started speaking English when I came to Australia. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, like, uh, yeah, age of 31. So we didn't, we don't speak it in the country, but I learned it. And, and yeah. we don't even speak English in this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a bit tricky. I learned American accent in my country, like reading books and listening. So when I came here at the beginning, I had to like a little bit practice. But yeah, it's, now I'm doing, I think. Better. <laughs> yeah, well, doing pretty good. Maybe picked it up at the age yeah. of 31. Yeah. Yeah, just speaking, like reading and writing, I did it. But yeah, yeah. speaking, I started really when I came here. Yeah, I studied medicine in Iran, in Isfahan city. And uh, it's like in Iran, you go to university to study as a medical assistant for seven years straight away after uh, high school. So my plan when I went to university was to be a very good clinician and work as a, and get a like speci specialty in something and then be a specialist in the country. Then when I joined, when I went to university, one of my flatmates was, his brother was in Cambridge doing PhD and I always remember this. And then I was excited, interested in that. So what's he doing? What is PhD like really? What's the difference and why research? And I had no idea, zero knowledge about research before going to university. So, and I asked many questions, I gradually got interested in that. In Iran, in some universities, we have a group called Student Research Center. So what they do, they help, there are students, and they help other students to learn research by workshops, involving them in research. So I joined them, I asked them, I begged them actually <laughs> <laughs> to involve me in some project. And then gradually I got interested in research in general, not just headache. Uh, at the end of my study as a medical student, I was uh, I became the head of that center, student head of that center. Oh wow! So this yeah, was so while was, you were doing your medical degree. Yeah, everything was while I was a medical student. I joined that center year one and year seven. Uh, while I was in in my internship period, I was like uh, the head wow. of that center, <laughs> and it was like a very interesting journey. That thing, and so I learned research methodology while I was a medical student. And then some of the projects that I did was on headache. And we translated three questionnaires into Persian, checking the validity and reliability of them. 
And for me, it was mostly learning how to do research. So usually people say, why headache when I talk about this? And I say, you know, it's cool to say that because someone that I loved, for example, had headaches, so I decided <laughs> to study headache to solve that problem. But no, for me, I don't know why I really started headache. It happened, but I know why I'm keeping mm. research in this area, I keep doing research in this area. Yeah, so then maybe I had a good mentor. I had really good mentors. I was so lucky the whole way, like even here, my mentors, all of them were so good. So maybe the good mentor got me interested in this area, but I knew that I want to be a researcher at, by end of my study as a medical student. Yeah, and then I started headache as a field of study. <laughs> so did you, have you practiced as a medical doctor or did you go straight from the into, into researching more? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, actually, I, when, I, when, you, when you graduated, when you are graduated, you have to work yeah, yeah. for some time. So I did it. But in gen uh, finally, usually you have to work for two years, but I worked five years after my uh, graduation as a medical doctor, as a general practitioner in my country. But parallel to that, I was doing research on headache in a center in Tehran. So oh. part of my job was I used to go to a company like the mines here. You go to like these companies that help uh, the workers. I don't know, for example, the oil company that they drilling, that do drilling. So you go there as a doctor, we stay with them for two weeks full time, day and night in a caravan so you don't have internet, zero thing. I decided that place because for two weeks I could study English and things like that. And two weeks I could do full time research like the, in another city. And the research was not paid, but I, it was something that helped me to stay connected with the university, to improve my CV, mm. to have connections. So for me it was two weeks research on headache disorders in Tehran University of Medical Sciences and two weeks as a general practitioner in south of the country and used to travel by like plane every two weeks. Wow. Yeah, so Flying I... Flying in, flying out, doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. I could... Slash researcher. Yeah, slash researcher, yeah. I could wow. save money because, you know, that two weeks you don't spend any money. Yeah. You just uh, are paid. <laughs> there is nothing to, you cannot spend it. And then it was like a library at the middle of nowhere for me. So I was studying at the caravan. You don't have that much like patients every day. It's just like for trauma or problems that yeah. I was mostly lucky. And the two weeks research on what I like. So it was good, I think. <laughs> How long did you do that for? Two, two and a half years, oh, wow. two years. For yeah. three years, I was working as general practitioner in family medicine programs, like rural area, but when I was, I decided to do PhD, like during that five years, I found that I really like to do research. So at some point, you know, some people after they work, they are paid, so they decide, okay, let's just live a life. Yeah. And then be, you're, you're paid well, and then let's, let's live. But uh, I, during that time, I really found that, no, I love research, so I have to fight for that. And then when I decided to get a scholarship from another country to go as a PhD student. I did that job to make sure I have time to study my English and also I have time to improve my CV and also apply. You know, it took me two years to get a scholarship from university here. Hmm. And this is another story, if we have time, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the scholarship that got you to UNSW and the George, right? Yeah. The George Institute. Um, which you are now, how far through? Uh, I started 2019, I, yeah, like more than three years. Okay. 
Um, and tell us a little bit about that project. What are you What are you researching for your PhD? Yeah, so I was, you know, while I was working in Iran on headache, I found that this is like area that we really, I really like to stay. And the reason was like many people have headache. Everyone have, will experience headache, but many people have headache disorders like migraine, which mm -hmm. the difference is you have a disease that the main one of the symptoms is headache. But people, they don't like know that. Like they feel like headache when they have a, a severe headache, they say I had a migraine, ah. which is different. You okay. just had a severe headache. Mm. Migraine is a disease you live with and then you will have headache many times. And headache, sometimes headache is not the difficult symptom. The symptom that is bothering you is vomiting, is like mm. light sensitivity, not the headache part. So like neck pain, I don't know, mood change. So I found that it is like a very important area and also very common, like just in Australia, people, when I say this, people don't believe that we have by estimation about 5 million people with migraine disease, like about 400,000 of them experience headache more than 15 times a month, Oof. which like is like huge numbers, like many people globally, 1 billion people have migraine. So uh, I found that, oh, it's really common. And even people with migraine, they feel like it's not something important to talk about. They just struggle. They just try. say, OK, I have to just rest. Even some of them, they blame themselves for having headache and not participating in family events, like being with friends, being with kids. Mm. Yeah, so. And, and I guess, like, if, so how many people in Australia did you say? Estimations are 5 million. 5 million people. So 5 million people and a proportion of those are having, you know, what, like multiple headaches yeah. per month. That's going to have an effect on the, the economy because people are going to have to take time off work, uh, time off school, time off their study. Um, so there's obviously that health um, burden, but there's that sort of societal burden as well, right? Yeah, like there is, another, there is an estimation for the amount of like the money. It is about $36 billion per year. <laughs> like direct and indirect cost of different types of migraine, like like chronic one, episodic one, different types. So, and like, it's a huge, like, mm. impact. And not many people know about that, talk about that. I said even people with migraine, they, some of them, they feel, they don't feel like this is important to go and help, ask for help or like mm. check for that. They just feel like, okay, I have a headache, I have to just... And what headache. are the medications for, for these headaches? Like, are there, are there drugs you can take which resolve it? Or it's a bit like, ah, eh, take a Panadol and... Yeah, you know, um, if it's just headache, like, for example, you can have dehydration, you can be tired, go somewhere, sunlight, and just have a headache for that day. So some, usually for that, the treatment management is rest, drink water, or if it's severe, have like painkillers. But if you are a person that is, you are diagnosed with migraine disease, based on the number of headaches you have a month, like if it's like just once a month, so management is different. If you have many, so you have to have prevention medications, like even the times that you don't have a uh, headache, you still get some medications. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of uh, different types of management for migraine. Like the important one from my, from my point of view that I'm very excited and interested in that area is uh, non-drug management like one of them is education and knowing more about the disease like for example knowing different triggers so if mm. some people if they know what triggers are uh, known for migraine so they can check them that those triggers in themselves or like if they can they avoid them if they cannot they 
try to, for example, if they have one trigger, avoid the other one. For example, menstruation is one important trigger. So if they have that one, try to avoid the other triggers, for example, alcohol. So don't drink alcohol during that. For example, these are... You, said, you just said menstruation is a trigger for, for migraine. Yeah, so people with migraine, okay. like, like female, when they, during that time, they usually, there, there is a higher chance to like, have an attack. So it's good for them to, yeah, you cannot avoid that, but it's good to learn more about other triggers. Like, for example, I see. Yeah. remove some others. If you, go to, if you want to go oh, to I beach see. during that time, so have a sunglasses, like sunnies. Have a, I don't know, hat. <laughs> I like that was your like, translation. So to, to the Australian, sunglasses, sunnies. Okay, we're good. Yeah, and, and I, have, like, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, they don't say, why do you say that? Yeah, yeah that's another thing. Yeah, lots of things that we can talk about it. We can teach people different methods like drinking enough water. I don't know, like different things that people should know about it. That's something that I'm, yeah. I like to for one day as a social media influencer talk about and make videos and people have uh, more uh, reliable like information about migraine. And yeah, that's another thing that I like. And we have medications, non-specific ones, like as you said, just go like for Panadol. And we have specific medications that like triptans, we call them like, for example, sumatriptan is just specific for migraine during the attack. And we have some new medications that people can have it for prevention. Like in there, some of them are injections, some of them are like tablets. Yeah, there are new medications. Mm. So what does the existing body of literature tell us about those non-drug um, methods of treatment, effectiveness, um, are they being used at all? Yeah, you know, that's a very important thing that I always, you know, from point of view of some people with migraine, it's very helpful. But when researchers talk about it, they look at papers. Yeah. So when we say we don't have enough evidence, some people with migraine, they feel bad about that because they have evidence. Yeah. And I think what we should do is we should, something that I think is very important to have more connections between people with migrant and migrant societies and have more surveys report what they experience right. as, a, like, as a sort of evidence. But in general, for some of them, uh, like we don't have trials. Yeah. But for example, for things like, I don't know, mindfulness, I don't know, for meditation, for things like that, we have like more evidence that hmm. they are helpful. But for things like education, like, we have some evidence, but it's not like you say that this, we have level A evidence for all of these things that uh, non-pharmacological ones. Yeah. But we know about them, that they are helpful, and that's another thing, that we should do more trials, not just on medications, on other things, like sleep management in people with migraine. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, uh, just simple things like drinking more water. So uh, for non-drug ones, we have less evidence based on, my, on what I know, but what I say evidence is papers, published papers, and then finally clinical trials that are like high level of evidence, meta-analysis. Mm. So when you do meta-analysis, you see that for many of them we have evidence, but it's trials on 20 patients, oh. 20 people with migraine. In general, 60 people with migraine. So we don't have that much evidence. Mm. And it stops, uh, stops like clinicians maybe from like talking about it with strong opinion. Mm. But people with migraine, they are 
using them and they have benefits. So we need more, I think we need more connection here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's something that, like, what, what you're suggesting is, is something that um, one of the postdocs in, uh, in, in my group, um, she was working on a survey of, I think it was patients with autoimmune disease, um, but I think there was like some other sort of um, chronic fatigue and um, MECFS patients there as well. And just simply asking them, what do they use to treat their, um, sort of manage their conditions? Or how long did it take them to get diagnosed? Because I assumed diagnosis for migraine is, is, uh, is quite tricky. Um, and it was quite interesting, the responses, that a lot of these, um, uh, these people, they had found like these, their own ways of medicating themselves. And, and well, uh, cannabis was actually the most common one. But um, I guess it shows that if you ask the patients themselves, hey, how does this, how do you help yourself? How do you um, treat yourself rather than, um, yeah, as you're saying, going for these papers, which are typically biased towards pharmaceutical interventions, and you sort of go down that, that road. Uh, yeah. That was a very good example. Like we have a type of headache disorder called cluster headache mm -hmm. and it's very severe. Like sometimes it's like called suicide headache. It's that severe for some people. And really we don't have that much medications and treatment for that. We have like things like oxygen therapy, I don't know, sometimes treatments, but in general clinicians are having problem with the number of things that they can offer to the patients. Mm -hmm. And we need more trials in this area. Uh, and some people like, for example, now we have one or two trials, I think, about like the effect of magic mushrooms on cluster headache. And we have some information that people have reported in their blogs, or like people are talking themselves, but we don't have that much strong evidence about these things. So uh, I think one thing that I love to do and we will do, I think, in the future is to ask people with migraine in Australia about what they think should be researched okay. in the future. And then have a list of unmet area of need that we need to work on in the Australia and check them based on our abilities, resources, and select from them. And then when we want to design a trial, again, ask people with migrant that, or communities like that are run by migrant people that, what's your idea about this? Is it nice? Do you think there is a problem? If you are a participant, do you think this is good? and involving them from the very early, even before thinking about the idea, till the end and reporting it. So I think that's a very important thing that especially we need to do. Uh, and also, like for example, we need uh, their help, like from their idea, from uh, all levels, and from participating in the studies. Mm. So for example, we love, if, even if we have resources to do a big study on people with cluster headache, it's a rare disease. So finding them and the ones who are keen to participate, who trust researchers. So mm -hmm. we have that problem yeah. that many of us, we are totally separate from the real, we do research for them, <laughs> but we don't have any connection with them. And it looks like we are just doing research without thinking who is gonna use this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like if one of my dreams is to be a well-known, trusted and reliable person in this area, that's, have connection with people that are going to be really the end users and then yeah. yeah well i guess like that's just from 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 a distant um like perspective that that um md phd um sort of combo that maybe seems to me that that um 
you, you have the chance of doing that. Like, uh, for example, cancer researchers, like MD, um, PhD, they will have patients that they're treating, but then they'll take the samples and the, from the tumor or whatever and, and process it and work on it. But they're still like researching, you know, um, pancreatic cancer in a sort of general sense, but they're actually currently treating that person. So they have that interaction. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see why that, that couldn't, couldn't happen for you. That, that could very easily happen. Yeah. Do you feel like that, uh, that um, I guess you could say medical training or the time you had as a practicing clinician <clears throat> gives you a little bit of, um, gives you a little bit of a leg up in terms of your ability to connect with people, um, especially the people who are, you are researching for? Yeah. You know, I, I've, I got my medical degree from Iran. Yeah. So here I have to do many exams. Yeah. So I, I, I will try to do that to get my like degree here, can work here, yeah. but not as a full-time yeah. clinician. I, my dream is to be a researcher. researcher. <laughs> that also maybe, I, yeah, if you have a clinic, you have connections, at least it helps you to remember what you are really doing and yeah. who is using it. Yeah. And it's not just like being in a congresses, presenting your research, <laughs> but your friends, your <clears throat> colleagues, which yeah. you are all just researchers. So. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really easy. It's re something that's really easy to happen. It's really easy to get stuck in our research bubbles, right? We end yeah. up in the lab doing the research, publishing the papers, but without that sort of co-design that you just described where the people who are going to be needing and using the treatment are being involved like right yeah. from the outset all the way through to hopefully implementation. Yeah, um, I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if you can break it down for us, what is the cause of a headache? What is actually going on? Mm. <laughs> I know that's like, like the question, but I, I'm just, I'm personally you know, curious. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. If we talk about headache in general, sure. in, in, you know, we don't have any sensor for pain in brain, like the tissue brain. So like the, that organ. But we have sensor for pain from bones, muscle, I don't know, vessels in the head. Okay. So usually the reason we feel pain is because somehow one of those sensors out of brain or in vessels in the brain or the thin layer around the brain somehow gets uh, triggered. For example, if there is a tumor, so it, pr it has like a pressure over surrounding areas. Mm. So like those thin layer and it can cause headache. If, for example, you have a problem in your like, bones in the neck or things like that, it causes headache or pain. For disease like migraine, for reasons that it's not totally clear, somehow suddenly nerves in the face and brain in the head mm -hmm. gets triggered and it makes a pain. So there are some lots of theories. For example, a change in the electrical-like um, level of brain, I don't know how to explain it. Brain activities, like, 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 yeah, brain activities. Like sodium, potassium, like yeah. neurons and, and that yeah. sort of thing, do you mean? Or? Yeah, I like would call it cortical spreading, like uh, depression. It goes like through the brain, like a change in the electrical level and then it, it can be the reason. Another thing is uh, dilation of the vessels, for example. Mm -hmm. For many years, it was like the idea about behind the migraine. And, but now it's, it looks like nerves are getting triggered which then cause, they make those 
vessels to be dilated and then they make headache in the brain. So for, you know, in general, we headache, for headaches, we call them like primary or secondary. Primary means there is another reason, like tumor or brain infection, secondary ones. But primary ones are the ones that the main symptom is just because of the disease and it happens for no reason. Suddenly, we have those impulses in the brain, we have those changes in the vessels, and we have the pain. So some people, we, all of us might have migraine, but some of us, our threshold for that change is lower, so they get headaches, so we call them migraine, people with migraine, and the rest, that's like, just like an idea. But the rest, because they have higher threshold, so they don't get those impulses, and the impulses doesn't change into like a final right. symptom like headache. And, and am I correct in saying that females uh, are more likely to have migraines? Yeah, like migraines is three times. Like in every four people, three of them are females. And usually it's during the time that's 20 to 40 years. So when we right. people get older, like over 40, 45, gradually females and males get similar. So and you might mentioned be, menstruation as well before, right? It's, so a that that it's like so. a trigger. Yeah. So it's, there is a reason, maybe like changing in a hormonal level of mm -hmm. like in the blood and body is one reason for females to have more migraine or like the change in that threshold or anything. But after like menopause and when people get older, like 70, 80, the, the prevalence like is in both genders gets similar to each other. What about during um, like pregnancy or, or anything? Uh, like that's that? a nice question. <laughs> Usually, not always, but what we expect for a person with migraine, during pregnancy it gets better. Like they have less headaches or less severe headaches, but not for everyone. Mm. So it's, we expect usually that, but when they have it and the management during pregnancy is another issue, because of many medications you mm. cannot use. You cannot use yeah. So mm. usually people go for like non-pharmacological methods, devices that we have, like mm -hmm. some of them. Yeah, so it's a bit tricky. It's interesting. So Lachlan is researching sex differences in autoimmune disease where you've shown and found that you know, women are overwhelmingly more susceptible to autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking that there might be some sort of? Well, I'm just, I'm just, uh, uh, just, just that uh, talking about menstruation made me think about it. Um, and and so uh, migraines are they caused by? So it's um, like pain receptors, like uh, noise receptors in in the brain or in these like blood vessels that's that's causing it, right? The the pain. The pain, yeah. Pain sensitivity. So. Uh, is this like due to like, inflammation of, of, of the brain? Is this like due to like does like if you if you um, for example uh, does COVID increase your risk of migraine as an example? Yeah, it can be like that's one of the explanations that after these changes like in impulses in the brain and triggering like we have a nerve called trigeminal nerve after mm -hmm. triggering that and what is the final endpoint what is happening is something sort of inflammation that causes this process and like this final symptom which is like headache or other symptoms of migraine but uh, you cannot say for sure like mm. what the reason is mm. yeah you know for example there are some molecules that are that have impact in this process like one of them is called calcitonin gene related peptide CGRP 
So the new medications are against this molecule. So mm -hmm. they block that molecule or the receptor. So it's like they are, some of them are just, for example, one shot a month is injection. And then they, we have evidence that they had good result in people with chronic migraine. Chronic migraine means people with more than 15 headaches or like many headaches a month. So it has helped them to reduce the number of headaches. And it was expensive, but fortunately, they are getting accepted one by one by like insurances, mm. like PBS in Australia. All right. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. it's uh, not only are the treatment methods still very much, at least the non-pharmacological ones, very developing, but understanding the disorder itself is also still a very big area yeah, exactly. of exploration, right? Yeah. yeah, something that I'm doing as part of my PhD, like I, ch I like to check as association of migraine with other disorders like blood pressure or diabetes. One of them that we have done is we check the effect of the association of diabetes and migraine. So like the paper and I have finally submitted that paper <laughs> and I hope I get nice comments. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. So, for example, the result of that one is very exciting for me. Uh -huh. So we found that people with migraine, if they get, when they get diabetes by increasing the age, it looks like they have less migraine. Like somehow it looks like by increasing the age, diabetes might be a protective thing. <laughs> you know, I was telling this to a friend of mine and he said, okay, we should pray for people with migraine to get diabetes. <laughs> And I said, no. If we is this type, type 1 or type 2 diabetes? Uh, type 2. Type 2, okay. Yeah, so because if they get it later. And yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, so yeah. What, I was, uh, what we can think, as you said, if we know that, for example, this is like a, just a theory, so we need for sure better studies to prove this theory. But if it's real, so why, if we find out why diabetes is helping, is reducing the migraine, so we can help use that thing to control migraine without having diabetes. For example, is it medications that we use for diabetes, like metformin? Mm, is right. it lifestyle modification that people with diabetes start doing mm. that? Yeah, yeah. Because we know that obesity uh, mm -hmm. increases the chance of having migraine or okay. more severe headaches. Or, for example, uh, physical activity in a normal way, not like very severe, like mm. making you like very tired. Uh, a regular aerobic exercise during the week helps with migraine. <laughs> so maybe people with diabetes start that. So we don't know that. But if we find that, or maybe people with diabetes, they have uh, vessel changes. So the vessels they doesn't get dilated easily. Right. Or maybe they have neuropathy, that that neuropathy changes um, the pain, pain feeling. Social, yeah. So, but if we know that, we don't need to get diabetes to solve <laughs> it. But if we know that, we know migraine yeah, better. And then right. we can somehow use that thing against migraine without having diabetes. No, that's really interesting. <laughs> that's really interesting. I've never really heard of that sort of... Let's look at this disease and look at other, other like um, other comorbidities, comorbidities. I guess, right? Yeah. Um, where you're, yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Yeah. Idea. You know, diabetes is not considered as a comorbidity because it's not the associations. Like we have many papers. Some says protective, some says no effect, some says like triggers, but uh, it's a related disorder at the moment. We yeah. can say that they have associations, but we don't know that association. Yeah, but like, for example, blood pressure, high blood pressure, that's another thing that I'm doing research on it. And that one is like, there are lots of different theories about it. So we are planning to, uh, we are doing a very a big systematic review. We have collected about 500 studies for that systematic review to check the effect of different types of anti-blood pressure medications and their effect on 
headache, not migraine, that one. Just, just briefly for our, our listeners, um, what is a systematic review? How would you define that? Uh, nice question. Yeah, you know, usually we have people, uh, papers, we call them original paper. People go and collect data themselves, like in a study that's survey or in a trial, for example, you give two, uh, two groups, one group, uh, the medication, the other one, the fake medication, and check the results. So mm -hmm. it's like original study. You mm -hmm. do it and you report the study. But we have a sort of study that you collect other published studies, put them all together, and say, okay, based on this evidence that we have, for example, researcher A, B, C, D have, have done this, but if I put all of them together, what's the result? So we call it review. Sometimes you do it in a very systematic way that everyone else can repeat exactly what you have done. So you call it a systematic review. And sometimes you add all of their data together. For example, if they have, each one of them have worked on 100 patients, 100 participants, four studies, so it's 400 participants in general. So what you do, you put all of them together and do another analysis and report a new number out of all 400 participants, and you call it meta-analysis. Mm -hmm. So what we are planning to do is to pull all of the results from different trials that anti-blood pressure drugs are used, and somehow they have reported headache in the side effects mm -hmm. section at the end. And then we report which group had more headache at the end compared to placebo. Placebo is like the fake drug. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so we are planning to do a systematic review and meta-analysis to check the available data, pull them all together. And it's wow. like a very high uh, quality level, like level of evidence because you are pulling all of them together. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we know that you're coming up towards the end of the PhD now, so scrambling a lot. <laughs> um, what are some of your plans or goals apart from taking some time off after the PhD? So you talked a lot about how passionate you are about doing research, yeah. carrying on in that space. I think I don't have that time off. I, I think I'm planning to gradually, quickly go to the new role. <laughs> yeah. And what I dream for is to have a, have like lots of nice studies and trials in the future in, on headache disorders. So I like to stay in Australia, but there is a problem here is we don't have like big projects on headache in Australia, like big grants or big uh, headache centers. So it must be a headache. Must be. Sorry, yeah. I had to, I had to so, do it at least once. Yeah, I, I know. For most of myself, I do it at least once. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the triggers. <laughs> yeah, so we have lots of great headache researchers, headache clinicians in Australia, headache societies run by headache people, like people with migraine disease. But, like, it's difficult to find a group to join. Even if there is one, there is a, not a big chance for them to need me, like, or yeah. like, to have a vacant uh, position for me. So, my dream is to somehow manage this, stay in Australia and have a, maybe in long-term plan, 10, 15 years, have a small headache division somewhere, maybe in the Georgian Institute for Global Health, which I really love that center. So when I joined there, I didn't have that much information about Georgian Institute. I knew that there is a project on headache and blood pressure, and I loved it, and I applied for that, and I got it in the <laughs> interview. I think I had my CV was fine for that. But now I feel like Georgian Institute is the center that was the center that I was looking for. And it has like lots of different things. For every question, there is an answer, someone that can answer your question. Mm -hmm. And they, can, they, will, they are very supportive. 
So, and but you know, in, in research, you are based on the grant. So, even if they like you, like like what you do, so if there is no grant or things like that, it's difficult. So, I hope I can get support, and then after that, I can apply for my own grants, fellowships, things like that to build a setup for headache research. Like this, this is a long-term plan. <laughs> yeah. 10, from. Uh... From little ideas, big things grow, right? So you've yeah. gotta, you gotta, gotta have those big ambitions, yeah. um, and be some sort of change agent going forward. I think one of the ways of, you know, growing exposure, possibly grants in the future, is more awareness, but more awareness from, or within, within the communities, right? And we were talking a little bit earlier before the cast that in September it's Migrant Awareness Week. Yeah, and I guess in general getting this sort of information out to the communities might lead to those really strong co-design um co-design projects in the in the future right yeah exactly and i have been very lucky in australia like the group that i'm working with my supervisor is very supportive and yeah i have learned a lot he's helping me a lot uh they are helping me like all of them to have good connections to introduce myself to be a thought leader somehow like my center is helping me. So I think everything so far has been good so well <laughs> and I, I just have to have hope and try more, I think. Mm, yeah. Keep the wheels turning. Well, I guess that's, you know, that's the future. Hopefully it's a very near future. But a question we like to ask on the podcast is what is a piece of advice that you would uh, give yourself um, either when, when, you, when you started med school or when you started your PhD or you started your journey in, in, in research? I think, I don't know when I started, I was not really aware of anything to have any advice for myself, but now I have some advice for myself in the past yeah. or for myself in, in past the past year. <laughs> like last year, like not very past, like when I was a medical student. No, let's yeah. say when, when, when you started your PhD. Yeah, I will tell myself please have like work-life balance. It's like, it's something that is difficult to say and do because I had a moment of like, I was burned out and I didn't know it is that. I had some symptoms. I was depressed and anxious. I, I didn't know what's happening to me. I felt like, okay, like what am I doing? Just even if I help everyone in the world, so what next? So I was like, I didn't have that much. No, I'm very passionate. I lost that. And then I was thinking there is something wrong with me. Then when I talked with many people, I find out, find out that, okay, I, I, I got a disease that people are talking about, burned out. And then I will try to have more, like, at least, I don't know, it's difficult to have the balance, but try to have it and everything is not your job, like your mm. friends, your family. Learn to say no. People. Mm, oh, yeah. that's. Oh, oh, I think my future me can tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that one is difficult. Future <laughs> me. Yeah, like um, he might tell me if I reach that point. <laughs> yes, yeah, so saying no is difficult. Yeah, well, that's a uh, that's good advice. I think one that uh, I think I'll put in my back pocket too. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, that was really, really interesting. I learned a lot. So um, looking forward to reading some of your papers when they uh, when they are soon to come out and uh, you're finishing your PhD and, and all the rest that you're, you'll do with, with yourself.
Thank you. Thanks again, Barry, and uh, to all the listeners for dialing in. Um, remember, you can tune in on Spotify, Apple Tunes, and follow us on Twitter too, at Resbytes Podcast. Thanks again, Faridun and Lachlan. We missed you, Felix. See you guys or speak to you guys next time. Bye. 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 Thanks. Thank you.